0: Welcome back to Shrinking It Down, Mental Health Made Simple. I'm Jean Bureson.
1: And I'm Khadija Booth-Watkins.
0: We're two child and adolescent psychiatrists at the Clay Center for Young Healthy Minds at the Massachusetts General Hospital. And today we're going to be talking about school refusal. So when children uh, struggle or even refuse to go to school, it can be incredibly upsetting for both the kids and their parents. And this year in particular a year and a half or more, I guess it's more than that, of remote learning for kids, we've been hearing, well, Khadijah and I have been hearing from our uh, patients the parents uh, that's, that um, some kids are having a hard time going back to school in person. Khadijah, what have you found?
1: Well, I've seen the same thing, and, and we thought now would be a good time to kind of have this conversation as we're right after the holidays and the new year. And this is a good time to talk about this issue because kids have had a long break from school. And for many, it was a pretty stressful start. Um, And now they are returning back to school and unfortunately returning back to school um, in some ways to a more stressful situation with this this Omicron surge um, and and schools kind of having to balance having kids in and having kids safe. and having not enough teachers and such. So, you know, they kind of are returning back to school in, in a situation that maybe for some is a little bit more stressful than it was at the start. Um, so we're gonna talk about what school refusal is, how we can recognize it, how you can recognize the signs in your kids um, and how to get them to help as soon as possible because a quick response is the key.
0: Now, before we do that, um, let me let me just disrupt things for a minute. Uh, um, because okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I tend to be disruptive and <laughs> actually enjoy it. And this is totally not related to school refusal, but, uh, something that I think that the, we and the clay team have been talking about, you know, how everybody makes new year's resolutions and of course no one follows them. And so, uh, rather, rather than, rather than making a resolution, uh, this year, let's, let's consider this was based on a, the conversation we had of our, with our team meeting at the Clay Center, is that for the year 2022, um, the, the key is going to be conversations. So New Year conversations. It's a good way to represent the new year. Um, it's something that I hope that we will do. And I can't say enough of how important conversations are, particularly with young people. Everyday conversations uh, about how they're feeling, about how how things are going on in their lives, about how difficult things are go, how you know difficult things are in the world, um, and making connections with your kid and everyone else at home and in your lives with conversations is super important. Uh, informing resilience, uh, helping you as a caregiver recognize uh, the early signs of problems because. The more you have these conversations, the earlier you start, the easier it is to kind of know what's going on. Um, And so I would say, even start with preschoolers. You know, they're not really conversations because if you've talked with a two year old or a three year old, it's kind of like babble. But you're talking about things. You're asking how they're feeling. You're asking about what they're doing. You're asking about, you know, about uh, their lives. And then as they grow up, And we continue to have these things. It becomes a part of the fabric of of the relationship and the family. Uh, So there you have it. This is the year of conversations. And on this note, let's move on to our conversation. So let's check in. Khadijah, now that we're back for the holidays, how was your break?
1: I had a really good break. And it was filled with a lot of nothing, which was amazing. Um, And I didn't know that I can enjoy um, nothing as much as I did, because I was initially feeling a little bit guilty that I didn't plan anything and I didn't plan any trips. Um, I didn't have any big like day things planned, but it was a lot of quality time spent with the kids in our house, you know, doing what we love to do, which is eating. We found some new shows that we like to watch. We found some new music Um, and just really just being with each other was really nice to be able to just slow down. And as we talked about last year, just being in the moment, it was really, really refreshing. Um, so I enjoyed it thoroughly. Uh, how about you? What was your break like?
0: It was, uh, it was intense. I mean, because what we did was my uh, my son-in-law's parents have these two uh, homes on North Hero Island in Vermont, which is a and they're big enough so that the entire family could be there. So I think for the first time that I can remember in many, many, many years, all my kids and grandchildren and five dogs uh, were <laughs> were in these two houses. <laughs> Fortunately, there was a lot of space. And then there was a lot of space in between the houses. But, um, but everybody was together. And so... Uh, it was, it was pretty cool. Um, I didn't get to spend the entire time with everybody. People came and went, but, but for a number of days, you know, we we were all there. So it was pretty, it was pretty neat.
1: It sounds nice after all of this time being apart, having everyone together. And I I come from a big family. So I'm used to a big family gatherings with lots of kids. Usually we don't have as many pets, but there's usually lots and lots of people. Um, and it just, even though it sounds busy, it just feels very peaceful.
0: Well, the dinner, the dinners, there was like 19 people at the dinner table, you know, and, and, and not all five dogs could be in the plate in in the room at the same time. So we'd have to kind of split them up, but, and everybody shared cooking and cleaning up and it was, it, and playing with the, with the, with the young kids. So it was actually, actually pretty cool. So, uh, well, let's move on to school refusal. So. First, let's define it. Khadijah, what is it? You know, we've all been young. We all remember times we didn't want to go to school. I remember when I was in first grade, I went through a period of like having headaches and stomach aches every Monday morning. (laughs) And I guess that was a former school of of school refusal Uh, because sometimes my mom kept me home and sometimes she said, no, you're going. So how do you define it?
1: Yeah, and it is kind of something that, all kids, maybe, or many kids to some degree struggle with in terms of being a little bit reluctant to go into school or, or kind of having some aches and pains, you know, after long breaks or after the weekends. But school refusal is something bigger than that. It really is um, a bigger issue. It, and sometimes it's also referred to as school avoidance, but it's a, it's really when kids regularly miss school and re- refuse to go to school um, it, it creates a, a huge problem and a lot of emotional distress for the kids and the families um, as they try to encourage their kids and promote their kids and push their kids to get to school because we all know how important school is. Um, but ultimately, in the end, because there is so much distress and angst about the thought of going to school, kids end up staying home. Um, and the parents know that they stay their home, which is a little bit different from truancy where you have kids who are skipping school and they're they're doing things and getting into trouble. This is really more um, an emotional distressing situation for everyone involved. Um, So so while school refusal can be distressing, it's really important that we do kind of talk about it uh, in the sense that this is not hopeless. It's a a symptom, it's not a diagnosis, and it can be caused through um, many different things, although anxiety is probably the most common. Um, But but there's a lot of hope because it's highly treatable.
0: Well, you know, there are a lot of kinds of anxiety that result in school refusal. Um, but now, in the case of the pandemic, kids can be anxious about the uncertainty around schoolwork, around their friends—will I fit in? Around their sports, uh, and, and and we're also hearing from kids. I'm hearing this in, in in my in my practice that they're worried about going to school, and uh, with this incredibly infectious. You know, variant of 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 the COVID uh, that's that's so transmissible about getting their parents, their teachers, their grandparents sick. Um, uh, so I know it's a real lot, and this is why conversations is so important. Because without talking with the, with your kids about what they're actually worried about, what kind of anxiety they're actually experiencing, um, we really wouldn't know. You know, we wouldn't know what to do or how to reassure them. Yeah.
1: And, and in this pandemic, a, a lot of kids I see similarly are struggling with going to school because they're afraid of getting sick. And I have a lot of kids who are also afraid of bringing home something kind of in the same way that we saw it earlier in the pandemic. Um, but it's, it's not to fret because really, it's really important to remember that if you are seeing signs of school refusal in your kid, it's highly treatable. And there are three really important key steps that you can take that can really uh, lead to success. And the first one really is going to be identifying this behavior in, in your child. So knowing what you're looking for and, pack in, and understanding it as school refusal. Um, the second step would be understanding the why. So identifying the underlying cause of the behavior. Um, this is a symptom, not a diagnosis. And as Jean just kind of outlined, by having conversations, there are many ways that we can get to school refusal, and so understanding what's going on with your kid and what is leading them to avoid school in this way is going to be really important in supporting them and helping them get back to school. And the third step, or the third key, um, is getting them back to school as soon as possible because the longer they're out of school, the harder it's going to get. The harder it's going to be to get them to transition back. Um, it's it becomes this kind of vicious cycle with. Um, Having feeling safe and secure wherever you are, whether if you're at home um, and then having the, the fear and anxiety about school mount and build and grow into this huge monster that makes it just really, really difficult to overcome the longer they're out of school.
0: Yeah. And we should point out that, you know, um, for kids that have school refusal that goes on for a, a, a long time, it's really uh, only it's, it's only about one in 20 kids. Um uh, and it shows up between ages of five and eleven, generally. But that being said, one in four kids at any one point will refuse to go to school. So we have like the the shorter term problem of these, which is pretty common, and then the longer term problem, which is which is um, uh, much more difficult uh, to deal with. But it, but as Kesha, as you say, it's it's it, it is the good news is is that it really is uh, incredibly treatable. Um, so, so, you know, for those one in four, it can, it's like being late for school, procrastinating, leaving before the day ends, uh, missing classes, uh, for part of the day, uh, spending time in the nurses, in the nurse's office or in the bathroom or in the school counselor's office, um, or, or just not, not going at all. Uh, um, but it can also involve other aspects of life. So for example, for kids who are really anxious about going to school, um, trouble falling asleep because they're thinking and thinking and thinking about all these bad things and dangerous things that can be happening going to school. Uh, It can happen anytime. Uh, the most common times it happens, at least in my experience has been in transitions back to school. So after the summer, the fall is at one peak, uh, when kids transition from one school to another, when they're going to a new school, like from elementary to middle school or from middle school to high school, uh, that can be a, a time uh, following a stressful life event. So if, if, if there's a death in the family um, or the death of a pet um, you know, or, or some sort of stressful event um, that causes um, a lot of upset at home, uh, and and another another uh common one is a conflict uh with uh, a peer or with a teacher
1: and now with covid or or now still with covid we've seen some really really long breaks uh the breaks have been unpredictable and there's still a lot of suffering and a lot of stress among kids and their families as it relates to this ongoing uh grief that they're experiencing and the loss that they're experiencing related to this, this unrelenting pandemic.
0: So, so Kaniji, you said that there were three steps to success in, in treating this problem. Uh, and the number one is uh, early identification. So how, how can a parent or a caregiver identify the behavior uh, of school refusal in their child? What do they look for? What do they see?
1: So there are some common behaviors in children with school refusal, and some of these are similar to the symptoms of anxiety like you outlined earlier. Um, And one way to know if it's related to school refusal is if the symptoms get better when your child is allowed to stay home. So for instance, kids who, like you kind of described, who struggle on Sunday night, um, kids who tend to Look well and, and and be well over the weekends and, and over holidays and you know we often say you know summer tends to cure kids like this, because the summers there back to their their typical happy not so anxious self and so when we see this pattern. Um, of it being kind of related to the, proce- the, the process of going back to school we kind of can put it in this category that it, of school refusal and so. For for all children, some of the common behaviors might look like um, some physical complaints, like headaches, stomach aches are pretty common, um, feeling lightheaded and dizzy. uh, This kind of fear of just this overwhelming sense of doom that something terrible is gonna happen while they're at school. um, And and as it relates to COVID, the worries about catching the the virus, spreading it to loved ones at school, uh, worried about the school shutting down. um, And then also, especially for kids being Fear of getting behind in schoolwork is really um, a significant worry for them. For younger kids, you might see things such as like uh, them being really clingy, uh, being a lot more tearful and and having more uh, crying episodes. They may even have temper tantrums and a lot more outbursts than they they typically would have and and a lot of problems going to sleep. And as for the older children, they'll experience panic attacks. they may even have extreme behaviors or responses and responses such as threats of harming themselves, um, refusing to leave the home, which is again, distressing, but then now these are big kids and it's harder to kind of coax them and, and help them and push them forward. And they could just refuse to leave or refuse to get out of the bed. Um, and then they also may just take off from school once they drop off or once they get off the bus, they may just actually refuse to go into the school building. Um, so these are some of the things, um, that kids may present with and and how they may present in different stages of life. But once you recognize these signs and attribute them to school refusal, the next step is identifying the underlying cause of these behaviors. Um, So Jane, how might a parent go about identifying the causes of of the cause of the school refusal?
0: Well, um, parents need to know what to look for and what the symptoms are, but you know, it's interesting, you know, parents aren't strengths they don't know the, the, the nature of these diagnoses, so like that's why the Clay Center is around. Because if you have a question, if you see some symptoms that you're worried about, you can look it up, and you can say, "Oh, it's separation anxiety." No, it's social anxiety. No, it's generalized anxiety. It's obsessive compulsive disorder. All those things that I mentioned, forms of anxiety. But there are other other disorders that can cause problems, such as depression, such as trauma uh, or post traumatic stress disorder. Another common um, thing is like kids that have learning challenges, you know, ADHD, processing speed problems, dyslexia, um, uh, you know, that really have a difficult, ADHD, that have difficult times in school, they just don't want to do it. And who would want to if you've got a learning challenge unless you're getting supportive help? uh, But even so... Uh, it could be it could be a, a problem, and, and there are other other uh, medical problems like diabetes, asthma, um, uh, you know, autoimmune illness, you know, like inflammatory bowel disease, which is you know, things that things that um, cause physical problems that kids really have trouble dealing with at home and in school. And I don't want to forget um, another one. If, if your kids refusing to go to school, especially you know teenagers uh, and young adults, is substance use, because sometimes they're just avoiding school because they're um, they've got a substance uh, use problem. Uh, but there are also things in the family. Um, like I said, if a family member has an illness, um, in divorce, uh, or, or parents who are separated. Can, can be a stress factor. Um, uh, moving to a new town. Oh, there's so many things, I mean, that that are stressful. Um, but just, you know, just thinking about all these things, they make sense, you know. So the, the, the most important thing is to try to figure out what's going on. And if you can't, you know, uh, get the help of a, of a of, you know, of, of the school guidance counselor or your pediatrician or a mental health professional to help you figure out, you know, What the actual cause is.
1: So that is really important. And again, I can't stress enough how important a quick return to school is going to be Um, because the longer they're out of school, the more schoolwork mounts and builds up, uh, the more social events that they miss, and then the more anxiety that they have about returning to school in the face of this. You know, kids are worried about catching up because now I've missed so much school, or they're worried about the fact that they didn't attend a major. birthday party or a major dance back when we used to be able to do those before COVID. Um, And so it makes a lot of, it creates a lot of stress about returning to school having been kind of left out. And we know that peers and peer connections are so important to kids. Um, And successful treatment of school refusal is going to be built on strong communication and coordination coordination between the parents, the school, and a doctor, if a doctor is involved, or a therapist if they're involved, um, this is going to be really important to a uh, speedy and hopefully smooth transition back to school.
0: So um, let's talk about some tips for um, what parents can do uh, uh, to uh, help, a, help a kid uh, who's experiencing school refusal, um, and, and I can start with with well conversations i mentioned it at the beginning and i'll bring it back again you know that's talk, i mean it's it's it seems so basic you know talk to your child you know uh, ask them about what makes school so hard and be sure to listen and validate their experiences in a in a non-judgmental non-critical empathic way i mean it's there personal experience and even if you think that it's silly or it doesn't make sense to you um, it's it's real to, to, to your kids uh, and remember that these conversations are not just one-shot deals you know they um, multiple short conversations are really important look kids hate having meetings you know so if you say to your kid well now let's have a conversation let's have a family meeting you know what they're going to do. They're going to hightail it up to their room and, you know, just avoid you. So, you know, you don't want to have, I I, I don't think, formal meetings. You know, you can talk to them in between the cracks, like when you're driving in the car or cooking dinner or kind of, you know, when there's a commercial, you're watching a TV show. um, uh, I would keep them informal. I wouldn't make it the, you know, the Spanish Inquisition. Uh, you know, it's uh, <laughs> the, the last thing they, they want, right, Khadijah?
1: <laughs> yeah, you know, because, you know, some kids are easier, let's just face it, some kids are easier to talk to than others, and so really keeping it informal and maybe being creative about, like you said, when, like, I love that between the cracks, um, it's going to be key because we, we have to have these conversations. We just have to figure out how to best have them with our kids, so I, I love that in between the cracks. Um, another tip for um thinking about trying to resolve this matter with with your kid is is problem solving together and so we want to encourage conversations and we also want to work and encourage kind of working together with your child and think together with them ways to address what makes school what makes going to school so hard you can role play with them you can come up with some creative scripts for them to use when they go back to school to handle issues that may arise. You know, people may ask them, where have you been? It's been three weeks. Or um, if it is uh, conflict due to conflict maybe that they're having with a peer or a teacher, again, having some scripts that they can use uh, that they have practiced that feels comfortable to them might be helpful in empowering them and having them feel comfortable in the school. Um, and, and, and again, being creative and being um, even silly a little bit can be helpful kind of with this process, um, but they are the ones that have to go to school. So doing it together is going to be really
0: important. Yeah, and 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 I think another tip following on that is you say they have to do it. Um, uh, I would be clear and firm about going to school. You know, as as I say in many of the family meetings to the kids, you know, this is not a democracy
1: not a democracy
0: at all. Going to school is not a matter of choice. You know, you got, you got to do it. Um, I think it's super important for parents to say, um, when is staying home acceptable? You know, if you've got a fever, um, if you're vomiting, if you've got diarrhea, you know, if you're sick, um, okay. So what are the reasons, what are the reasons that we would allow for this? Um, and, and it could even be, include a very stressful event that's just happened. you know if someone's died, who you're really close with in the family um that's that's that, that might be that might be a time where where people just stay put um, but I would let them know that this is you know this is not negotiable, that school is super important and that they've got to get that they've got to go and um uh, we can make that clear.
1: And so I have said to some families that i work with, you know, I think I want to quit my job and come to your house because that sounds like a lot of fun um, and being silly. But, you know, we have to be. We have to make home boring. We have to make home.
0: Wait, wait, wait. Boring.
1: We have to make home not interesting. We have to make the idea of going to school more appealing than it is staying home. So returning to school must be more rewarding than than being at home. And and that has to take some effort because it's natural for for us as parents and caregivers to want to comfort our child and to make them feel safe and secure. We're not saying don't do that. And we're saying that home just cannot be an oasis. It cannot be vacation. And so this has to be the case with both young kids and older kids. Um, If they're going to be home and they're supposed to be in school, this is not a time where you be playing video games or watching TV. We're not going to have nice home-cooked lunches. We're not going to go out on the town and go shopping. If you're supposed to be in school, during the school day, you wouldn't have these things. You wouldn't have these privileges. So home has to not be a place that they can escape and avoid school and have, like, unlimited pleasures. You know, that's
0: that's really just the key so so no but 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 a lot of the kids that i've seen who were in lockdown and i was looking with them you know we were on zoom together they were desperate to get back to school you know they they really wanted to be with their friends to hang out to have lunch to kind of just like you know cut classes together get in trouble together whatever i mean whatever it was um uh you know, it seemed like when the pandemic began that it was going to be like a snow day, you know, uh, which would, which is always fun, you know. Um, but after a while, home did become boring and kids were really desperate. So I think your point is well taken. Um, I think another one uh, uh, is to work with the school. You know, I mean, we are collaborators and, and that means work with the teachers or anyone else at school to create a plan to help them get back. And based on what they're afraid of, whether it's bullying or whether it's a panic attack, you know, there'll be all kinds of strategies. And at some other point, we could, you know, uh, uh, talk about this. Or, or you can even look, on, we have a bunch of blogs that talk about about uh, some of the uh, ways of getting kids back into school. But the most important one is that whatever plan you have, it's got to be a coordinated effort with the teachers, guidance counselor, school nurse, um, uh, parent, uh, uh, and the child. We're all working together.
1: And and we're, we're being upbeat and we're being hopeful and, and, and no one believes that this is going to be easy. This is going to be, this is going to take, like you said, a coordinated effort and we, we will need help. So we don't want to go out on this mission alone. So identify other supports and, and think together again with your kids who they might identify at school that could be helpful, who's a trusted adult that maybe that they can go to if they feel distressed. Sometimes it might be even, who can we go to school together with? Like, is there someone in the neighborhood that maybe we could walk to school together or or ride the bus together with um, to get to school? Um, We could also think internally, like, is there a sibling at home that could be supportive or or a grandparent at home? Um, But who can help us uh, to to achieve this goal to to get this kid back to school?
0: And be positive. I mean, you know, um, I would focus on the good aspect of school, Um, the new things they're learning, uh, their favorite subjects, their special teachers, you know, the athletics, the school play, you know, all all the the things that school provides, which are just so incredibly positive uh, and exciting for the kids. Um, I think that's an important thing to focus on.
1: Don't shame them. Uh, try not to, to blame them or shame them for not going to school. Really just take the approach of, and we talk about this all the time, if they could, they would. Give them the benefit of the doubt and and believe that they're doing the best that they can and, and they need our support and our help to get back to school. Yeah,
0: And and, and finally, like I've mentioned before, if you do think, you know, that, that they may have an underlying, you know, uh, mental health problem, or a medical problem get an evaluation get a a professional uh, talk to your pediatrician to uh, have your child evaluated Um, well look um, I hope that this has been a helpful conversation Um, uh, anyway uh, thanks for listening everybody Um, uh, happy new year and remember that this is the year of conversations Uh, have one tonight with the young person in your life, or the young people in your life, and we hope that our conversation will help you have yours. I'm Gene Breslin.
1: Meet Ruth Watkins.